Out there, all around them to the last fringes of occupancy, were tube freaks at play in the video universe, the Tropic Isle, the Long Branch Saloon, the Starship Enterprise, Hawaiian crime fantasies, cute kids in make-believe living rooms with invisible audiences to laugh at everything they did, baseball highlights, Vietnam footage, helicopter gunships and firefights and midnight jokes, and talking celebrities, and a slave girl in a bottle, and Arnold the pig, and here was Doc, on the Natch, caught in a low-level bummer he couldn't find a way out of, about how the psychedelic 60s, this little parenthesis of light, might close after all, and all be lost, taken aback into darkness. How a certain hand might reach terribly out of the darkness and reclaim the time, easy as taking a joint from a doper and stubbing it out for good. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the book better than the movie. This is episode two of the Unadaptable Season 7, Inherent Vice. We're recording this on Friday, December 11th. Be sure to check out our most recent episode on Cloud Atlas, streaming wherever you get your podcasts. We are now on Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher to accompany Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So we're out there, people. Find us. So without further ado, I am with the Jive Talkin', Gordita Crunch Munchin, Joint smoking and Nixon praising Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people, E. Hello, people. Who are you with? Uh, it's me and you, and we have a, uh, a a special guest here today in the in the studio. Very special. It's uh, Mr. Charles. Charlie, say hello. How's it going, everybody? Pretty good. <laughs> Did you want to say something else? Or? No, I have nothing to fucking say. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Um, we're here to, t- to talk about Inherent Vice. I think yep. we watched the movie last night. All together, it was nice. It was nice. It was nice. Yeah. 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 And Eric's a f- furnished basement now. Yes, I have a couch. It only took three months. Who's yes. counting? Not me. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Big deal. So we all watch it together, um, and we're ready to talk about the adaptation and some of the film stuff as well. We're going to get into some fast facts real quick before we move on. So the novel Inherent Vice uh, was written by Thomas Pynchon, who is the author of V. The Crying of Lot 49, Gravity's Rainbow, Vineland, Mason and Dixon, and Bleeding Edge, most recently. This book uh, was published in 2009. has a Goodreads rating of 3.74 out of 5, so not great, but it's hanging in. So I heard at some point that every single book on Goodreads at some point becomes a 3.75 rating. Really? All the ratings are either like 5 or 1, and it at some point it just averages, not to 4, but to like 3.75. Weird. I, I wasn't really familiar with him before this. Is he like big in the literary community? I feel like you guys would know. Um, Gravity's Rainbow won. I don't think it won the Pulitzer. I think it won the National Book Award. But I, I think he is more or less famous for his like personality, being very reclusive, not seen like since his college days, basically. Yeah. He's on a couple episodes of The Simpsons. And that's, I think, the two most famous instances of him in like the world since he was in college. Interesting. So people sort of know what his voice sounds like, but I don't think he's really been seen since like 1965. That's wild. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, what's Well, it's interesting you said about the Goodreads, like everything kind of comes down. I wonder if that's, that's probably just an issue with all uh, websites that use user ratings as their only rating, right? I have yeah. no idea. It's true. I, I also feel like the subject of this book is probably 
not divisive is not the right word, but I am sure there are like very strong camps on both sides of the like yay or nay to yeah. inherent vice. Yeah. Um, and then the film directed by the legendary Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed, excuse me, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Phantom Thread, and has an upcoming uh, adaptation of another Thomas Pynchon novel, uh, The Crying of Lot 49, uh, in 2021. Thank you to Charlie for that little tidbit. I mean, yeah, I looked up him on IMDb. It's not that hard. <laughs> but thank you're welcome. Thank you. I bet uh, PTA has met Thomas Pynchon. They must they must have like a relationship for sure, yeah. So PTA can tell us. He was allegedly in the movie. I mean, I don't know if we're gonna get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so it was written for the screen by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Catherine Waterston, Josh Brolin, Owen Wilson, Benicio del Toro, and Reese Witherspoon. Released in December 2014. Rotten Tomato score 73 percent. Metacritic score 81, which is I thought a bit unusual. Usually it's the other way around. Usually the Rotten Tomato score is higher than the Metacritic. But this is a critic it. movie. You think so? Yeah. But the reviews aren't like that great, right? 70. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is Rotten Tomatoes, but 73 is. I guess Rotten Tomatoes. You're talking Rotten Tomatoes. Not the audience score, like the real. Th- yeah, okay. Right. Well, yeah. The tomato meter, Charlie. Use yeah. its name. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the tomato meter. <laughs> Um, do you have a quick recap for us? I do. Inherent Vice is the story of Doc Sportello, a dopey private eye who lives in the fictional town of Gordita Beach, California, named possibly after the Taco Bell food item. I bet so. Um, his, one day his ex-old lady Shasta Faye turns up asking for his help. Her real estate developer boyfriend, Mickey Wolfman, may be abducted by his wife and committed to an asylum. Doc agrees to help by alerting the proper authorities um, but the case grows wider and weirder from there. Drugs, dentists, demonized Nazis, and delicious frozen bananas all feature prominently. That's kind of a crazy rundown. Yeah, that was perfect. It's like Thank you. all over yeah. the place. Yeah. But it's an accurate representation of what yeah. we saw and what we read. That was a better movie than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a game before we go to break. Uh, you guys, the listeners, will be familiar with this game, a game called Two Truths and One Lie. Charlie, have you ever heard of this before? Well, I've, I've played before. You've dabbled? Yeah. So, how does this work, Eric? You're going to read us three statements. Two of them will be truths. One of them will be uh, dirty, rotten, Richard Nixon lies. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Are you guys ready? So, so I'm going to say all three, right? And then each of you will have your own opinions. And we'll come to that afterwards. Sounds good. So... Number one, Robert Downey Jr. was originally in talks to be the lead for this film. Number two, the soundtrack was recorded by Radiohead guitarist Johnny Greenwood, making the pair's, uh, making it the pair's second collaboration uh, with Paul Thomas Anderson. And then Paul Thomas Anderson did not graduate from film school. So I know the lie. Are you sure? Yes. Because I did my research before we came here. <laughs> so, so Eric, I'll let you go first and then I will confirm Okay, so I know that Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be Doc, or he was in talks to be Doc, and then PTA decided at the like very last minute that he was too old to be Doc. So he replaced him with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who he worked with in The Master two years previous. Um, I also know that this movie was scored by Johnny Greenwood. However, Charlie, it is a very will thing to do 
to have a technicality and have this not be Johnny Greenwood's second time scoring a PTA movie, having it be its his first time. I don't know what you're this talking about. This is some about. Will. This is how Will does these games. Never done this before. And then third, so it, the question is, did PTA graduate from film school? Do you know that? I I think Johnny Greenwood scored the master. So that that's so that checks out. Yeah, that so, would be, I would say yeah, I would say Paul Thomas Anderson didn't go to film school. That would be my official answer. I'm going to borrow Charlie's answer and use it as my answer as well. You're going to borrow Charlie's? Was that, is that part of the spirit of the game? Should I, should I no, do the Johnny yeah. Greenwood's question? That's up to no. you. I think, if the man sees the right answer, he can take it. <laughs> I'm also going to do I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Charlie and do the third run. Um, in, typical fas- in typical fashion, Eric follows Charlie and falls off a cliff. <laughs> you were both incorrect. Unbelievable. <laughs> So Paul, you were Paul Thomas Anderson did not graduate from film school. He went to film school for two days before he dropped out and then recorded or collected money to record coffee and cigarettes. Um, but he basically he said he learned his film craft by watching directors that he liked and um, listening to the director audio commentary. So that's how he learned. That's pretty to, metal. Yeah, how to film. That's what I used to do, and I didn't turn out to be a director. So, so you, Eric, you should have listened to your intuition. Is actually their third collaboration. What were the first two? Oh, it was. You see, this is what Will does. <laughs> you should know this. So I'm so disappointed in myself. God. So Let the master was it? There will be blood. Um, sorry, I had it up here in a second. So it is. Um, yeah, there will be blood in the master. We're oh, um, fucking. I should have known that. You should have known that. You're. You are a radio head. I am. That's what. I am. That's what you are. But anyways, you both lost. So Johnny Greenwood did two of two of those movies were good, and the third one, yeah, I mean not so good. We'll let you figure out which ones. <laughs> we'll get into that a bit later. But for now, we're gonna take a quick break and listen to a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Rick Dalton, better known as Bounty Hunter Jake Cahill, speaking on behalf of Red Apple Cigarettes. Now I smoke red apples, been smoking them for years, but since the Red Apple Tobacco Company's been around since 1862. You'll see Jake Cahill smoke Red Apple too. Now back in Jake's day, Red Apple came in a pouch, and he had to roll his own. But today, Red Apple comes factor rolled for the best drag with the best tobacco flavor, with less burn on your throat than any other non-filtered cigarette. Now that's the way a cigarette should taste. Better drag, more flavor, less throat burn. That's the Red Apple way. And thank you for that word from Rick Dalton. Uh, Red Apple Cigarettes. Check them out. Rick's been a big supporter of the podcast, so we figured we would throw him in there. Thank you, Rick Dalton. Go smoke cigarettes, everyone. Smoke Red Apple Cigarettes. For all of our children listeners. Cigarettes. Anyway, well. So, Eric, what did you think of the novel? I think this was one of the better things that we've ever read for the podcast. What about you? I disagree. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I was, I was, I was very much into this book. Really? Yeah. I, I vibed with it, as they say. I thought it was totally you, groovy, tubular. All you the, jived all the words. it. You jived with it. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I super enjoyed it. I, I did not as much. I don't know if it was the. I like the characters. Um, I don't know if it was the prose, and I just like couldn't get into it. Um, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really have an answer for you, but I didn't really love it. I didn't okay. hate it. But you didn't love it. Yeah, I mean, the characters were interesting. I just thought it was, like, too all over the place. There was too much going on. Like, there wasn't a coherent storyline. 
like narrative that like took me from a to b it was like too much of too much chaos for me yeah it was you're right it was this like detective book in that there was a case and then there was more and more and more piled onto it some of it was related some of it was a red herring that pulled you in a different direction and doc as a narrator or as just the the lead character in a book um to be in his head is gonna like fuck you up yeah because he that's how i felt can't remember things or he like elides things or he's just i mean he's also hilarious yeah which that's which true. is what i like really vibed with yeah in I mean, reading this but yeah there were it, multiple times where i like not laughed out loud but like chuckled pretty loudly yeah does he narrate the the book i assume you get his inner thoughts yeah but it's 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 not a first person book so it's it's more like a it actually is more like a third third person like omniscient but like wry sort of narration like the person it's not just it's not just like a your novel you read where they just tell you the like straight facts yeah. right it, everything is colored in this sort of like dope tinged kind of know. seeing it through his eyes i guess yeah you know, a little, a little yeah. high yeah yeah but not full first person yeah so it is it is a bit weird in that respect um and i agree with you will that the the narrative it's not it, it makes it a weird choice to be adapted into a movie because it doesn't have the traditional like movie structure there is no i don't know how to say it but the, like the resolution is not he gets he finds the person right that's not the resolution in this right. movie the well, case that he gets at the beginning is not the case that ends the movie. Right, exactly. And, and the most important thing isn't the resolution. The most important thing about this book is like the characters and how crazy they are and all the crazy shit that they get into. It's more about like having a wild ride than it like figuring out where these people went. You know what I mean? It's not like it's set up like a mystery novel, but doesn't follow the normal mystery tropes at all. Does that make sense? So, no, explain that more. So, well, so when I was reading it, I just felt like, okay, where's Shasta? Okay, where's Mr. Wolfman or whatever, Mickey Wolfman? And I was, that's what I cared about. And I wasn't really caring about him getting high and like whatever, doing whatever that he was doing. I don't know. I just like couldn't really, I didn't really feel like a connection to the character. I felt the opposite watching the movie. I didn't read the book, but I found myself sitting there like i don't really give a shit about like where shasta is i don't know yeah. i just didn't didn't care as much about the narrative and some of the scenes you know the, the interludes were funny but mm. yeah i think one of the, the challenges and, and this is probably a like no fly if you didn't like the movie this is probably why there is doc doesn't really do anything he doesn't accomplish anything everything that happens in the movie happens to him and happens in spite of him like if we are talking about the two missing people at the heart of this book he doesn't really find either of them and actually neither of them are actually missing mm -hmm, right um he helps out people near the end of the book through no help of his own he's given these like kilos of cocaine by somebody he was and then up. somebody reaches out to him and says hey give me those kilos of cocaine and then he's able to trade somebody's safety for that but yeah. he is not actively doing anything right he's just kind of like along for this ride that he's not really doesn't really have a say in what really happens yeah and i think one of the things the movie got right and charlie maybe you can like you maybe you have a thought on this as well 
in the book, I know you didn't read it, but he is crazy. And I think yeah. it's really hard to have a crazy character as your center. So I actually th- think, and one of the reasons I didn't really like Joaquin Phoenix at the start was he sort of played the straight and everyone around him yeah. was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that sentiment. He certainly wasn't as crazy as I would have like thought this character would be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so he's significantly more crazy in the book. Yeah, and I think it's... It's more apparent, like, from belief. the get-go. Yeah, and it's harder because I think they do a lot more in the book with his pot smoking. I think it, it, it really messes with his memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in a way that it doesn't so much in the movie. Yeah, he, I mean, he smoked in the movie, but he didn't, like, change... It wasn't like a. It wasn't a transformation of his character. Him getting high. Well, that that, that part also confused me at times because I I kept thinking this is an unreliable narrator because he's doped up. So a lot of times I was thinking, well, is this just like him dreaming? Is this him just high imagining this, or is this actually happening? I think that fucked with my mind hmm. a lot and made me like probably made me confused as to what exactly was going on. That's fair, um, but I thought this. Like from a from an adaptation standpoint, I thought there was so much in this novel. I, I don't know. I feel like every every episode I'm talking about, like there's just the world is so big, mm-hmm. and it's so, it'd be so much fun to play in. Mm-hmm. But I, that's probably why these all get adapted. You're not going to adapt something that is super stripped down where you have to do a lot of work. A lot of the work is done for you, and you just have to decide what stays. Aren't all novels way bigger playgrounds than films? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think primarily you, you would know you get, better than me, but like you ever watched a movie that you've done so far in the podcast where you're like, I thought the movie did a better job exploring this world in the book. We haven't done a ton of like short story adaptations. I think that is probably a medium mm. like Arrival we did. Yeah, that's mm. a fair point. That's that would that would be you're you're right. Though. Correct. Short story different than novel. Yeah. Yeah. But a yeah. novel, you're obviously living inside the character's mind more than you could in a in a movie. Yeah. Right. Um. Well, so what makes this book in particular unadaptable, in your opinion? I, th- I Well, like Cloud Atlas before, I think this book is really complicated. I think there's just a lot of characters. There's a lot that's happening. Um, I think from a just like viewership perspective, I think the drug use is, I don't know. I think that would be hard. It'd be hard to put on screen, like that amount of yeah. stuff to get this book like totally right. Mm-hmm. so there was a lot more in the book drug use yeah i mean if he's not smoking weed he's like actively rolling a joint yeah um and i think there's a i mean there's a lot of sexuality in this book too that didn't get translated into the movie version mm-hmm. there is some and there is a, a very long scene of just like straight nudity in the movie yeah but that was um, the most sexual part of it besides the pussy eater part in the beginning yeah the book is very very horny i would say yeah <clears throat> like a lot of characters are driven by a, like lust for other people yeah it's very la yeah i'll ask you as a so as a movie watcher it was certainly in the beginning definitely it's it was a little difficult to follow i think that's like on purpose but there are a lot of you're introduced to characters names before you meet them it's not super clear all, all the time was the book easier to follow or was it equally is confusing because it came from him who was high and you know supposed to be unreliable so i i already answered that kind of it i thought i got more confused i thought the movie was a little bit clear yeah more clear yeah i agree with that i think having faces really helped yeah um 
a lot of the names are there's just so many names and there's so many people that got cut out of the movie and there were leads there were scenes and a lot of the names you just like they ran together yeah i, I know it's not like a great answer but yeah no, I, no. I do think that it was at times confusing and then at the end i actually think he did a really good job the author of wrapping it all together in a way where you better understood what the hell was going on yeah that's true it, what's funny when i was watching the movie last night i'd forgotten about his like sidekick character is it, it's not dennis it's like um dennis what is it dennis oh is that right is that you yeah that's what they call, they call him dennis oh yeah well it's like sidekick guy i i forgot about him in this is gonna book. come up later so remember this okay. yeah and i was like oh yeah this guy doesn't really do anything until the very end but i mean i think we're gonna get to this but related to that was the for me the the voiceover like narrator i forget her name but i still don't know who the fuck that was and why she was in the movie yeah she's the character in the book um mm-hmm. she's nowhere near as important I, the movie by making her a narrator gives her a lot more weight yeah. obviously but in the book she's just his friend yeah really she's she's not She's not a thing. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't play in the plot, really. Yeah. At all. But we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. So, um, why do you adapt this story? Well, like I was saying, I think it's just, it's very full. Um, and I think a lot of the work has been done for you, yada, yada. But I also really like Doc. I think he is, is a, although he can be frustrating at times, I th- you can really see the character. Yeah. Um, like, Charlie, when I read the little passage to start, you were like, oh, I get a sense of what this guy might be about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the in the book, I mean, the book is just so detailed. It is so, I guess it's set in 1970, but it's so specific to the time. And Pynchon takes great care in getting things I don't know if it's right, but getting things in a way where you really get it. Like you feel like it, it really is a vibe. Like you, yeah. you, and you totally feel it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of like go, go, go pop culture references, music references, mm-hmm. just conversations about Nixon and Reagan and the end of the sixties, the Manson family. I think it really does a good job of setting up a time and place. And um, I don't know. I, I thought it did a really good job of, of, creating a period piece yeah i mean it it was pretty fast-paced as well like there weren't any parts where i felt like oh i'm like dragging through this part or like other than parts i wasn't really interested in but like i didn't feel like there were parts where he spent too much time if that makes sense the author like where he just like spent 40 pages on this like one little scene that didn't really matter it was kind of like Onto the next scene, chop. On the next scene, chop. On the next scene, chop. I think it's uh, a good hang, which was good. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's my feeling. I think ultimately, if I was going to describe it, I just think the book is a good. It's a good hang, like mm-hmm. three hundred seventy pages, and it was breezy. So you think it's worth, Eric? You think it's worth adapting? Will you? Maybe, maybe not so much. <clears throat> my. Uh, sure. No, sorry, I was gonna. My well, my question was gonna be: You're Paul Thomas Anderson. You are. You can have any project you want. You're like one of the biggest A-list directors in Hollywood. Why do you think he wanted to make this movie in particular? And apparently he's been attached to it since the book was published. So, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts there, but it's clearly like important to him that he wanted to make this. Well, I think 
I, I haven't seen a, a ton of Paul Thomas Anderson films, but I do know he has a like very geographic sense of place. Like a lot of his films take place in a certain part of California. Yeah. And this certainly fits that not, not saying that's a reason to make this movie. Um, but th- that fits Two, I think being not necessarily cynical about it, but you can have any project you want. Why don't you adapt the book by the fucking guy that no one's ever seen. That's never had his book adapted. You're the guy that can, you're the guy that can do that. It is like kind of hipster, like Thomas Pynchon. Nobody knows. Mm. No one's ever seen him. Yeah. No one's seen him. He's never had anything adapted. He's written like eight books. They're all, you know, well-regarded. Yeah. If you can get that made, then you can literally do what you want. Yeah. Um, But then I also think it's just, it's fun. It's a fun, I mean, my opinion, it's a fun book. I think it's, it would probably be a fun movie to make. There is, we can talk about later if PTA is the right person to do this, if he has the right sense of humor for a book with this sense of humor, because Mm -hmm. to me, there's like a very obvious uh, directing duo to take on a movie like this and really harness its humor. Um, But I just, I just think it's fun. Mm Mm-hmm. It definitely, it definitely is fun. I was, I was expecting this to be a really fun, funny movie. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like when I think of Paul Thomas Anderson, I think of very serious and very because mm-hmm. of the master and there will be blood. But you know, he did do Boogie Nights. Um, which that was, was a serious. I mean, there was drama to that. It was. Yeah, but it's it's like a more it's like this kind of. I think it's more in the wheelhouse of Inherent Vice, where it's like crazy characters doing crazy things. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. I also do think that the, for as much as we've, I've talked about it being fun. I do think the book has something serious within it. Like the book does take place at a time when the Manson family is on trial. And Mm -hmm. historically the, the Manson family murders of Sharon Tate sort of ended the sixties. And it's a, it's a very specific turning point in American culture where Richard Nixon becomes this like giant law and order figure. And, someone like in the book you pulled this out on twitter robert moses is there's like a a part where they talk about robert moses right so um you know cities are changing Mm -hmm. they're they're pushing out poor people they're rebuilding blighted neighborhoods Mm -hmm. they're redoing a lot of where someone in this book might live and so i think there is a undercurrent i don't know that he necessarily like got this in the movie but there is an undercurrent of like real serious change at play in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even the, the, uh, the guy in the beginning who comes to his office, who is in the, I think it's like black gorillas or something like that, the, whatever gang it's called his, he says he goes back to his neighborhood and now it's like a bunch of apartments or something. Yeah. Or it's a lot. Mickey Wolfman's torn down his, the neighborhood where his like version of the crypts, I think. Was yeah. Yeah. Located. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are the book's key ingredients to make an interaction? Eric. Um, all that stuff, man. Yeah. Fun sixties. I think it, I mean, really the, it, it's a period piece and it's the end of an era. Yeah. I mean, obviously like 70s Southern California is, is a character in, in the movie and I assume it's a major character in the book. Yeah. It's an important part of that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I don't know we would necessarily want to touch on, but like there are so many references to movies and music in 
the book and maybe we'll put a pin in this and talk about this later but i do think there's something to be said for like making a movie about a certain time and place in a way that isn't like self-aggrandizing like oh look at my spotify playlist for this movie i made about the 70s because mm. the movie wasn't really like as music musically driven as the book was yeah there are whole passages in the book that are just whether they're fake songs or not i don't know but yeah music's really important in the book yeah. and i don't know you you think of like a scorsese movie that is so yeah record driven yeah i sort of thought that was like the way this was going to be just based on reading the book and it I, yeah i didn't get any of that from the movie yeah, yeah. no me neither yeah so what were we gonna say or ask when i before um, I interrupted you? no it's fine we can move on i don't remember okay if you, you if you, you, been, you have a doper's memory if you remember let me know okay, okay. i don't remember though right. Good, i didn't want you to um doper's brain so is there anything else you want to talk about the book mention adaptation specific no i mean no there are some obvious things to cut out but that's just like we don't need 25 main characters and yeah we don't need to take a trip to vegas or yeah. yada yada I, yeah i'll leave it there okay um and we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back if you like what you're hearing please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. it'll help us find more fine listeners like you do you have an idea for an episode tell us what it is tweet at us find us on instagram follow us for updates and general musings at lit two lens and welcome back thank you from that brief word from our sponsor so charlie are you ready for some jokes hit me eric would you like to go first or would you like me to go first i'll go first uh i usually see the floor to you so i'll go i'll go okay. first Fair enough. all right should i just tell my joke to charlie I'll just tell it to the. I'm the looking crowd. you in the eyes. I'm yeah, here too. So, <laughs> my laugh, my laugh level will decide who's the funnier. Joke. That's fair. Okay, what is Doc Sportello's favorite song from the psychedelic California-based Steve Miller band? What? The Joker. Wow, that's pretty good. I don't get it. <laughs> Think about who plays Doc Sportello, man. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Even I fucking got it. Oh, my God. Even I fucking understood the goddamn joke. Put in a laugh track right here. (laughs) Can you dumb it down for me, please? That's the clown prince of jokes. Did you hear it? Did you listen to Claude Alice? The episode? (laughs) No, not yet. (laughs) Fucking. I wanted to rewatch the movie first. Just listen to his joke. Okay. And get back to me. I'll tell it again here. I'll tell (laughs) it. Well, hit me with this better. No, no, we'll move on. All right. uh, So my joke is. When Doc took Shasta, Shasta, towards the end of the film, what did he need to stay in the game a little bit longer? What? A Thomas pension. <laughs> Eric is laughing silently to my right, just so you all know. I think he's laughing at you. Can you can understand. I think I'm laughing at you. <laughs> So Eric's was the Thomas Pynchon of the jokes, the like cerebral and like over my head joke. But Will, yours is the working class man's like really funny blue, blue collar, blue collar yeah, stuff. Yeah. I appeal to the people. The the Big Bang Theory of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I appeal to the masses, not to the elites. You know. I think that's that's like part for the course. All of my jokes are Will's like, I don't get it, and then yeah. I have to explain it. Yeah. But I think that's the way my jokes are. You're a New no Yorker cartoon. No one understands cartoon. them. Yeah. You're a New Yorker cartoon, and yeah. Thank you. 
Well, it's Big Bang Theory. But, but the thing about humor is that if you don't have to explain it to somebody, it's not funny. <laughs> if it doesn't showcase your intelligence level over that person. <laughs> Thank you. Your superiority. So did, if you had to choose. Uh, I'll, I'll take Will. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's not a competition, but, you know, All if right. it was. I, I don't think I could pick Eric because I didn't get it at first. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so thank you, Eric, and thank you, Charlie, for uh, picking me as a winner. So we're going to get into the movie discussion here. Um, so in general, did we think that this adaptation was successful? Um, was it straightforward? Was it loose? Was it reimagined? What do we think? I think it was it was definitely literal. I, I think uh, every single bit of the book, I mean, within reason, obviously, but like all the major plot points were on screen. They yeah. didn't take the trip to Vegas as they do in the book, but a lot of those characters don't exist in the movie version anyway. Right. Um, and you, you don't really need them. So that was easily cut out. But I, I do think it was inherent vice on the big screen. I do think also that it was not nearly as funny as the book was it was not nearly as groovy i guess i don't it's kind of like a cheap word i don't really have a better word for it like i just didn't it wasn't it didn't have the same energy i thought the book had a lot of energy that the movie didn't have the book feels at least from description over the top with that is that would you say that's the case or certainly with the drug use probably tiresome it could be like uh, yeah i think you you call it tiresome that's a bad thing, though. Yeah, if you are easily tired. Okay. I don't, I don't have a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't get easily tired. No, I mean, you're, yeah, that's, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's like an onslaught on your senses. But I, I do think if, you, if it's for you, it's for you. And if it's not for you, then I think you're not going to like it. I think that's why it's like a 3.75. I yeah. think there's probably people that really like it, and there's yeah. people that really don't. It feels yeah. polarizing. I I agree. With well, that being said, I I thought it was okay. I mean, like I don't hate it. I didn't love it. Uh, there are parts of it that'll stay with me, but uh, you know, I I don't think I'm gonna remember a lot of this movie. Did you? So we talked sort of about this at the, at the beginning of the podcast, but this the i guess like narrative structure of the film did that work for you the the in the sense that the major question at the beginning of the book where are these two missing people wasn't really a question and doc at the end doesn't really resolve a case and that's I mean, maybe that's a departure from a detective novel right a detective film so yeah. it it's sort of i don't know if it's playing with it maybe it is playing with it did you did That's you like probably. the the narrative structure as it is well i would have been lost without the narration and i like i said before i still don't know who the fuck that was like i don't know who, who that character narrating the, the film was yeah yeah uh, I, right it sounded so but i it, would have been lost without her yeah so i was confused because i originally i thought it was the woman the asian woman from the jade uh, yes massage, massage, parlor. massage parlor but it's not her um so that actually threw me off in the film because oh they changed it to whatever this woman is. They whitewashed her. Yeah, right. <laughs> like Claude Alice or the opposite of Claude Alice. But yeah, no. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that is a whitewashing. Claude Alice whitewashed. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. The theme of this you're podcast. 
I'm getting a ghost in a shell. Sus- yeah. Some suspicions over here. <laughs> That's not us. It's Hollywood, man. Um, I do think there is, at least for me, at the end of the book and the movie, you sort of, I, I sort of tried to understand what exactly I was watching. And it is not so much a movie about, I mean, it is a movie about people, a movie about characters, but it, it's, it's a, a movie that is like a little bit bigger than that, where there are two sides sort of fighting over what's left of the 1960s. And Doc and Shasta, to a lesser extent, are sort of in the middle of it. Mm. And then you have uh, Josh Brolin's character, who's like the stereotypical, like, hard-ass cop. Probably voted for Nixon. Law and order. He's a big Eisenhower guy, that's for sure. No, but I mean, I think Josh Brolin's character knew everything. Doc didn't really figure anything out. Like, Josh Brolin just sort of pushed him into situations... And just had him deal with stuff. Yeah. Which was clever on his part. Yeah, he didn't have to get his hands dirty. The whole world knows what's going on, but our character and his narration doesn't. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So did you like the... So it's similar in the book where... I think I mentioned this earlier, where it's not really focused on the details of the case. It's more about the characters and their outlandish behavior and what they do. Did you like that as as a I guess narrative style, or like focusing on just the characters as opposed to having the the case details as like a tertiary? It threw me off at first because I, I didn't really I didn't know anything about the movie beforehand. I didn't know what the story was about, so I was certainly focused from the beginning on the details of the case. And as I found out those like didn't matter, I enjoyed it a little bit more. Uh, just trying to learn who Doc was. I mean, he's the movie for me. I mean, he's supposed to be funny and you know he's the interesting character that i really want to get more of Mm -hmm. i do think they give him doc a little bit more heart in the movie version in the book version or in the movie version he at the very end drops off coy harlingen Mm -hmm. yeah these names are tough owen wilson owen wilson's (laughs) character to his wife and he's in the car and says like goodbye have you know say hi to your wife for me say hi to your mother for me. um and in the book that doesn't that scene doesn't occur right he does help koi harlingen like get out get out of his debts huh. and that's the end of it yeah i think he collects some money from his bet that he placed with i can't remember the character's name but the guy in the casino in las vegas right yeah, so he hits on some like big bet. Delivering Koi there uh, as a viewer it feels a little more satisfying. You can like walk away feeling like Doc did his good deed. Yeah, and he's still a good character. Is Doc in the book like unequivocally good, or is he kind of like you know he does some bad shit and he's not necessarily a, a good guy or a bad guy? I don't think you really have a read on him. I would not. So in the movie, he's kind of painted as the hero. Maybe, yeah, but he's not that in the book. He's, okay. he's the main character, but that doesn't mean he's the hero of the story. I exactly. think he's a he's a person of circumstance. I really do. I think he is he's not like you know passive in the traditional sense, like where you think of like um, what's her name Bella from Twilight, where like she literally doesn't do anything. Like people just tell her what to do and she does them, and that's how that series works. He 
has people do things, but he acts upon like what is given to him in a way that he doesn't fully understand how the outcome he doesn't fully understand the outcome of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that makes sense. Or the consequences. Yeah, no, it, it does. But so, uh, I, I, when watching the movie, I get the feeling that he is motivated to solve this case and because he cares about the people, obviously Shasta in particular, but mm-hmm. he does seem to care about his clients, even his other clients that he meets. In the, bo- in the book, do you get that sense? Or he just kind of uh, falls into these windfalls of information and stuff that progress him on his case. Does he care as much in the book? Do you get that sense? What's his motivation? I would say no. I would say his motivation is Shasta. Like He just wants to find her. Even, everything is leading him to that. So he's willing to do the Corhelingen and the other stuff to sort of get there, I think. Even then, I do think the Shasta part was beefed up for the movie. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think... like The scene that takes place at the very end of the book where they're in the car together... Or they have that like back and forth where it's like this doesn't mean we're back together, right? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't weird. happen in the book, no. um, to my memory. So I, I do think she's kind of there at the beginning and the end. Yeah, she pops up in the book, and they do have like relations with each other, and they talk about being ex old yeah. flames and and that sort of thing. But I don't think. I don't think that his relationship with her in the book is as propulsive as it is in the movie right yeah i think his motivations in the book are it's not even for money i think it's literally just for like this is what he does yeah hmm. i just don't think it's who he is and he's just like literally curious and not i'm curious maybe the right wrong word but like a aloof pi kind of like just going along for the ride trying to figure it out but like willing to I mean, he just likes his job. Yeah, yeah, I mean, random weird shit. I think he I he, he is a detective in that sense, where he like tries to get to the bottom of stuff. Yeah, um, and it's more professional than it is personal. Do we think this character, like this person, like really existed in the seventies? Like, do you think this character would have existed as a as a real person? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I They talk a lot in the movie, at least, about how hard it is to get a PI license, how big of a deal it was that he was a licensed PI. So I don't know whether, in reality, that would have been prohibitive of him becoming a PI. Right. Something like a stoner. Yeah. Or how hard it is to get a PI's license. But You gotta think about how many people in the 60s were, like, hippies. And then in the 70s, transitioned to a different personality type so it's really just a sort of like arrested development that's i mean he's not like a child but it's sort of like he he's one of the people that the 60s left behind yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i'm not a culture expert but it was my understanding that hippies weren't as popular and there weren't as many hippies as like we look back on the 60s and associate it with i think it's certainly demographic like geographically yeah, that's like Southern in California. LA and yeah, like Berkeley and San Francisco. I think it was a bit different. Yeah, but when you yeah. went to college in California, were there a lot of like people like him? Um, I mean, more than here, more than the DC area, there was there were people that were like similar to that for sure. They weren't private investigators, but they were smoking all the time. So, yeah. did you find the the movie frustrating? To follow, yeah, a little bit. Um, did you find the like 
thrust of it frustrating like the ending the like payoff frustrating because i do feel at some points it was sort of like a moving target for what we were trying to do what we were trying to do well that's what i I said before like i at a certain point i stopped like giving a shit about solving these crimes and stuff and i just wanted to see where it would end Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily need to see it end in resolution did you have a sense of where it needed to end though so this is, that's my question. Like I, I was trying to figure out like what the fuck was the story? Because it seemed there was like four different things he wanted and it, any of them could have ended it. Yeah, I mean the big payoff was the Koi Harling, Harlingen. Yes. Harlingen. Yeah. Uh escaping his debt and getting back with his wife and daughter. That was like although that was like a wasn't even introduced until halfway through the movie in the book. Yeah, it like you didn't feel like a an immense amount of satisfaction about that, but certainly you were happy to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't him and Shasta getting back together. Although the movie, they may or may not. Right? Yeah. That was also I, together. Yeah. Or around each other. When he was like, yeah, this doesn't necessarily mean we're back together. I thought like, okay, what the fuck did we do this for? Right. He, he certainly was a frustrating character to latch onto and to try to buy into his motivation because I still don't know. Like, you know, we just talked about what exactly motivated him. That's probably more true to his nature doing stuff like that right maybe that's why she left before maybe that's why he's smoking all the time yeah so let's talk about sorliage that's yes. what i'm gonna call her okay um so charlie brought her up earlier we talked about her a little bit but this character in the book not a a friend of doc's let's say a very small part of the book in the movie she's the narrator and also a friend of doc's but there are moments several moments in the book where she is in a place and then she is no longer in that place. Like there's a scene in the, sorry, in the book, in the movie, um, in the movie, she's in scenes and then out of scenes mm-hmm. for no reason. Okay. So I can remember specifically when he first goes to the massage parlor and he's like cutting through all those motorcycles that get out of his way. She's riding shotgun. And then when he pulls up, there's no one in the car. So my question mm-hmm. to you is, this character, friend of Doc's, figment of his imagination. In the movie, she was in the car and then not in the car? Mm-hmm. I must have missed that. I also missed that. In the, in the motorcycle. Yeah, like in that scene when he's pulling up to the massage and that And that quality of her does not exist in the book? No, no she's more of... Sorry, I shouldn't just shake my head. This is a, this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no... Um, She's she's really in the background in the in the book. She's really just a, his friend. So that's an interesting detail that I, I didn't notice and am now currently considering as maybe she was a figment of his imagination and not necessarily real. Yeah. I mean, it could be, you know, I don't want to throw out the word schizophrenic, but um, certainly hallucinating certain aspects, which would fit his behavior and personality i mean but what does that what does that do for the story yeah i was just about to say i feel like you do that because for some reason you don't want him to narrate his own life because that gives away too much of him and maybe he loses his mystery i don't know i'm just thinking out loud here or whether he's you want him to be a little bit unreliable and if he's talking to the audience i don't know i don't know but there must have been a conscious decision to say, no, I need another character to narrate 
and that character I can make feel like is maybe in this like real or not. Yeah. So we were just talking about this, right? So the one of the main things that a screenwriter would do to a novel is say, "Man, all this good stuff that happens inside the character's head. How can I get that into the movie? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll put it in voiceover. So how do you rework a voiceover? You make you let someone else do it. So a lot of what she says is pulled from his thoughts. In yeah, the book, the book mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, I do think it could be a little deeper than that. I don't. I don't think she's his voiceover. I. I don't exactly know, and we'll probably just like figure this out live. But there is a lot made about Doper's intuition, or I don't. Um, what's the other word they use? Extrasensory chops that he has. He sort of has, like at the very end, he gets his car from the impound from Bigfoot. And he's like, you know what I should do? I should check the trunk. Mm. And he makes a decision to do that. And she sort of walks us through that wavelength of Doc's brain. Hmm. And so is she just like a manifestation of his drug use? That's just like, Hey doc, maybe you should like, yeah, you should do this, man. Well, if it, if it was that, it should have been more clear. Like, why, man? I would. <laughs> I get everything told to you. Do, do any other characters interact with her? I feel like she's in scenes with other characters, but I don't know if they were talking to each other. She is in one scene that I can think of: the Ouija board scene, where yes, yes. him and Shasta like do a Ouija board and then run to go score dope. Yeah, and like get caught in the rain and like meet cute or whatever. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that she interacts with Shasta at all. I don't think it would. Yeah. Weird. But he talks about her to people and he like has conversations with her. Huh? Like he brings up her name. Yeah. And I, you're right. Well, I, I don't think it ever is clear. No, it would be nice if it was clear, but maybe it's like one of these movies where you need to have like a second and third viewing. She's the first saying. shot of the movie, right? We open on her like in the summary thing, or is that yeah. like in the alleyway? No, like she's like in the sun, like the golden hour. Am I wrong? We or do we open on him walking down the down, down the, the alley. alley? Well, it's it's a shot, I believe, of the ocean, but through like two houses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then so it's not the opening walking. shot, but it's in the it's in the beginning. We meet her in some sort of like almost daydream like sequence. Yeah, her narration definitely opens the film. Yeah, right? that's true. What's the? I don't remember. He that describes scene. Shasta meeting him and how she used he, it's i was just reading the book how she used to wear whatever the bikini and yes sure yeah that's yeah. her saying that yeah that's right so why why do that is it so why does thomas or i'm sorry um paul thomas anderson throw this narrative wrench in the film to sort of give more exposition on doc and why why this character you know why not somebody else and why not just doc i mean that's a hard question man yeah um yeah i mean it's hard i don't know i i think maybe it's the punch of a non-joaquin phoenix narrating um maybe it is just having a character who you can literally do anything with because she is both real and not real Mm mm-hmm allows you to explain things that would be hard to explain otherwise but that that is just like craft right i think in terms of 
what it does for the movie besides from like allowing you to do things i feel like i'm talking in circles but for me it's like if the narrator is going to be such a prominent part in this movie it needs to be somebody i care about or at least mildly interested in so like why not have it be chastity or somebody like that i'll tell you i mean i started this by saying i didn't know who the fuck that was when i finished watching the movie but i care a lot more about her now knowing that she may not be real so there are certainly layers to this um, that are now apparent to me that would, would show up in a second and third viewing. Yeah, I mean, we could replay that scene later and, and see what... And maybe play just her scenes and see what she looks like and how she plays them. So getting back to the idea that like we could have just had a Joaquin Phoenix voiceover, does the appearance of a third party verso voiceover does that make knowing what he's thinking a little bit easier to palette i think i guess we probably dance around that that point for me it feels like it makes like his thinking a little more mysterious it's like we're not hitting the nail on the head we're kind of circling it you can kind of fill in the fill in the details because it's not him it's it's yeah. like a filter it's a filter of his it's brain. more ambiguous yeah mm. let you know choose your own adventure you interpret the uh, the character a little more interesting there is definitely parts to the book and the movie that are like very into the doper's brain right where it's like maybe maybe you can't trust him maybe you maybe you can't trust his memory um he smokes so much freaking weed that mm-hmm. what what does it do to him and so maybe this is just a way of like just showing that yeah yeah maybe well Moving on from Sword of Rage. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably time to move on. Yeah. So, we want to talk about Bigfoot? No. Uh, yeah. I'll talk Please. about Bigfoot. Um, I think Bigfoot, to me, is the other... It's not really a loss, but I, I do think Bigfoot loses a, a bit of his characterization in the film. Okay. Um, in the book, he has a whole big backstory, and mm-hmm. he loses his cop partner um and it's revealed that and i think he recognized he like sees this live like this is a conversation that happens in the book he realizes who killed his partner yeah and there's an, an emotional moment mm. that doesn't happen in the movie i do think it's revealed who killed his partner but he never gets that recognition right. he never gets that emotional moment yeah and his character is played as this like straight laced hard-ass cop who had a tragedy in his past but he's never able to confront it he just sort of gets the like rote oh your wife is like really like yelling at you yeah you don't get to see her face in the movie that's true yeah yeah Yeah. and his tragedy is just that doc is kind of a pain in his thorn or a thorn in his side yeah he kind of puts it in his own side doc bigfoot yeah bigfoot like is always messing with doc like he doesn't need to like hit him up and everything yeah well, he does in order to, for his plan to. Yeah, he wants to use him. Right. Yeah. So he needs to make sure. He's so I'm on sorry the right that path. you can't use this person, and if you want to use him, it's a little frustrating. Well, he wants his dope, right? <laughs> What's his money? But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my only thing with Bigfoot. I think it. I don't know that he necessarily needs that big emotional moment, but that relationship. It helps. That relationship is pretty important, Doc and yeah. Bigfoot, because it explains. I do think. I do think having that helps explain why 
Bigfoot is so keen on like figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like ending it because ultimately like Doc's realization that Adrian Prussia, we're going to spoil this, killed Bigfoot's partner isn't doesn't bring Adrian to justice. He just realizes it and then like kills those kills Adrian and Puck. Yeah. And so how do we feel about Josh Brolin in this role? Let's put a pin on Josh Brolin. What do you mean? For later? Yeah. We'll, right. we'll talk about him when we talk about casting, right? Uh-huh. Let's see what we can talk about casting now. I'm yeah. ready. I'm done with I'm done with Bigfoot. I'm okay. A, yeah, fuck Bigfoot. Okay. Casting. Right. Bigfoot. Josh Brolin. I I liked Josh Brolin. My so we talk about casting. To me, there are certainly layers to this, and it's a different. Um, if I took this book and I adapted it, for example, I feel like it, I want it to be funnier, to be a little more uh, over the top, and I guess true to the what's in the book. I haven't read the book, but um, so I could see. I think Joaquin is too too serious and subtle. We were kind of getting this earlier. I'll just throw out a name. Someone like Shia LaBeouf as that character, or uh, you know, obviously it's been played before, a similar type character, but um, uh, I already forgot his name. Gotcha. <laughs> Shia's got you shook. He sounds like a really good actor. <laughs> I know. I, I, I kind of agree with the Shia because him, his, him in Transformers, where he's like always anxiety-induced. He's always doing something, right? He's always like yelling, screaming. Yeah, or even like him in uh, as Spicoli in the yeah. in the read of a uh, oh Fast yes. Times, Fast Times. Yes. yeah, like something like that, like yeah. super over the top. Yeah. Do you think an old old Sean Penn, not old Sean Penn, but like Spicoli era Sean Penn? Yeah, that's that's a whole different movie, and that's like a comedy. He's a little bit dumber, probably than I was thinking. James James Franco. Mm. He's obviously played stoners before, but he, he certainly could play that uh, in more over the top comedic way. Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying, and there is it's it's interesting because if you play this character over the top, the movie has to change. Yeah, and there there really is no maybe there is a middle ground, but it, it's very narrow of a character who is just like nuts and hilarious in a movie that is serious and ends with a, like a shootout. Mm-hmm. So I, I really would have loved to see, cause I actually didn't know about Robert Downey Jr. Until I was reading that. Relationship. That would have been good too. That would have been really good. Um, but what about like Matthew McConaughey, like pre interstellar, like 2014. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I think he's right. a little too, he plays too dumb. I think maybe. Yeah. I think, I think you have to watch out for, like Shia LaBeouf, I think has a base level of intelligence. This is not like uh, talking about their person. What are you trying to say about Matthew McConaughey? He's not intelligent. I think he plays dumb. I look at Matthew McConaughey's like roles. Yeah, if you look at his like rom com roles, it's more like a ditzy man. Well, look at um, Days and Confused. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's true. But he could he can act. I mean, yeah, he, he can, can he cannot play stupid. <laughs> He's but. got a statue. So, I think part of the, part of the problem with Joaquin Phoenix is that with anybody, it's just baggage, right? It's so much Joaquin baggage of serious actor yeah. Joaquin. And I don't know that he really gets the funny right. I don't know that he's f- funny. He did at times, like towards the end of the movie. And I don't know how they shot it, whether it was chronologically or not. But towards the end of the movie, he was a little bit more funny. Like when 
Bigfoot breaks his door down, right? And he's there yeah, smoking that was pot. Yeah. And it was funny on both ends, but I thought it was particularly funny with Joaquin Phoenix's character just like kind of staring into space and like not really reacting. Yeah. I thought that was that was good acting. But in the beginning, he was like overly serious. I could literally when I was watching the movie, I could literally read the lines off the script. I feel like if you can do that, that's like a bad it's bad acting. What do you think about Owen Wilson? I agree with you though, Will. Yeah. I tweeted this out as part of our like little tweet a thon yesterday. But yes, we did. Owen Wilson as Doc. He's Coy, Coy Harlingen. All he's gotta do is read a different slide. Different slide. You know what would have been great? And this would have been as uh Wes Wes Anderson movie, not PTA. Mm-hmm. If he was if Owen Wilson was Doc and Ben Stiller was Coy Harlingen. So that's a whole new movie. I'm just but saying, yeah. that's <laughs> just an idea thrown out. But no, I like your idea of Owen Wilson. I think it would have been a little bit more silly. Yeah, he's maybe he's a bit too silly. I do think there is a, there's a need for seriousness, but there is also a need for comedy. Yeah. And I maybe mean, maybe they just needed to not cast a famous person. Maybe. Well, Joaquin Phoenix in 2014 wasn't super famous, right? And we only really grew to fame the past few years with Joker, right? He's never had like a primary role. You know what I'm going to do, Will? I'm sticking it's... out my hand right now. Yeah. And I'm going to thumbs you down. I would disagree with that. Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, yes. He was uh, the secondary character. Correct. Gladiator. The second character in Gladiator. <laughs> For me, he was Best a, big, picture a big star at that time. Yeah. Okay. We, okay. So we can get into a different discussion. <laughs> Do you think he's he was A list, B list, C list? <laughs> a list. Um, no. Yeah. There's no shot. There's no way. He's never had like a big budget besides Gladiator, right? In 2000, he's not. He has not had a big budget studio film besides Joker, right? Uh, I don't know about that. Would you consider? Because I feel like he's only done like serious acting roles, like her and stuff like that in this movie. I mean, he, so after Gladiator, he was in like Signs. He was in The Village. He was in Hotel Rwanda. He's had a big role in Walk the Line. That was the lead. Walk the Line, that's true. Um, that was a big one. Yeah, then he sort of goes dark. He's got that whole i'm still here yeah i'm still here but then and then the master and her and then inherent vice but like how many people saw the master and how many people saw her like i'm, I'm what i'm trying to get at is like, i saw her within the oscar awesome. like within the critical community that this movie appeals to those are like yes, way in there that I, that i agree with now i was trying to into will's point of view which is that that is a different that's a different group of people than the people that go watch inherent vice with He's an A-list. He's an A-list. Uh, like art film guy. Correct. Yeah. 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 Which is different than what like we're saying. I guess. Right. If you want to make this less serious and more fun, which like it probably, I mean, you know, you know what would be funny is like if if you did make it like with Owen Wilson and Bill Spencer or, or or whoever, and it was more fun and silly, you know, the people, the book people would have been like horrible that's a terrible terrible decision because it's 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 stealing away the heart of the heart of the book right yeah so it's like a lose-lose yeah it almost becomes not to steal the casting exactly but like starsky and hutch 
that like 2005 yeah, movie, yeah. Right? Oh, right where it's like it's funny cops yeah this is just a funny pi yeah or like uh the other guys yeah mr nice guy what is it the other guy the other guys mark Wahlberg and yeah. will ferrell no, no 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 uh the one with ryan gosling and oh oh yeah nice guys nice guys just nice guy, yeah. with uh russell crowe yeah, yeah also takes place in 70s hollywood maybe that's a better yeah, comp true. for this actually yeah. There's not as much drug use for those guys, I don't think. But no. maybe Ryan Gosling is the person that should have played this. I can't. Meh. I mean, he's the goat, so he can do any role. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I'd cast him in this. Charlie, why do you start sweating? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say Ryan Gosling couldn't do a role. No. Oh my god, man could do anything. Yeah, I mean, nobody knew he was funny until that movie. So he's That's been funny. Not yeah, true. day one funny. Day one funny. Yeah, Mickey Mouse Club funny. <laughs> He was a singer. Charlie's out here with the. Comedy. Charlie's got the VHS tapes in his backpack. He's about to pull them out. Remember the Titans, funny. Um, he was. He had some good lines in that one. But. We should. We should move on from Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not like totally sold on the Joaquin casting, but um, I don't have a better answer. So, what were some good choices? Well, it, when you have this many actors begging to work with Paul Thomas Anderson, that they'll take two scene roles. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have some heavy heavy hitters, and there are heavy hitters in this movie. That's true. The cast list is, is quite impressive. Yeah. I mean, the I forgot the, the guy's name from The Wire. Yeah, um, Michael K. Williams. Yes. He has one scene. Yeah, one scene. But that's he's like a serious actor. He yeah. comes back in the book, that character. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon has like three scenes maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big name too. She was bigger in the book. They cut out. There was like more sexual stuff with her. Fuck, yeah. Benicio has like two. Eric Roberts has like one line. Yeah, yeah. Mickey doesn't even talk in the book, so that's true. Eric Roberts in his contract needs to Martin Short speak. <laughs> Dude, what a that, great... that I thought was great casting. Yeah, that it was. He was hilarious. It was very funny. Scene. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Who else? Um, I love Martin Short. It's very funny. Yeah. Is there anybody that you didn't like, independent of Joaquin Phoenix? I didn't really like Weiss, Reese, Weiss, Reese Witherspoon. Um... I don't know. She was fine. Yeah. For me, I was a bit hard edged for. She only had a few scenes, but the the only actor in this movie that really stood out to me was Catherine Waterston. I thought her her performance was the best. And yeah, her. she was really good. Um, Owen Wilson was also like a kind of throwaway role. I mean, he barely had any scenes. Yeah. They're all they're like all yeah throwaway roles. Yeah. You know who started off with a bang and ended with with less than a bang was uh, Josh Brolin to me. He started out great, and then he faded with the, with the pancake line, in Japanese, and then the stormy into. I don't think that room. was Japanese. <laughs> when you say started out, you mean like where he's in the commercial, or before uh, after that. What do you mean? Isn't he the character in the commercial? Oh, that was at the towards the end though. Of the movie, no, I thought that was in the beginning. No, that was in the beginning. When oh, I introduced have... to. Oh, the... sorry. He was in a TV show near the end. Yeah. I forgot about Adam that part. Twelve. I was talking about um, when they were first introduced to him. Yeah. when he's in the police station but that was also great but uh, he kind of fell off with the pancake line i thought that was like overdone and then um the line where it kicks the scene where it kicks in doc's door i thought that was a bit overdone as well. yeah when On he just part. like eats the entire plate of weed that was yeah that was that was a little yeah it was strange it's a little much i thought he did he i think had the highest highs though yeah in the movie that's true but this is that was also like josh brolin has played this like straight guy role 
like Sicario. Yeah, like but Sicario is more of a hard like, ass. He was like going for more comedy here. That's true. He was. I didn't. I didn't feel the comedy. In he the, w- in the later stages. He was serious. The character was imagined to do funny things. No. Right. But oh, as an actor, when you're he still eats. You're, you're trying to be funny by being serious. I see what you're saying. You're you're saying that he no, wasn't trying, trying to, be... to be funny. Yeah. He was just talking. Correct. I see what you're saying. Yeah. The character was just funny. There's yeah, I mean there he wasn't going for the funny. He the character was just like comedy is, is different like levels. It's whatever in your perspective is, I guess, as an actor. There's the straight guy and there's the not straight guy. He's the straight guy. Straight person. No, I would say that Joaquin was the straight person. You know who disagreed no. with us? Though? Joaquin's reaction to it is what makes it funny. That's the straight person. I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if you're right. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. I think we smoked too much dope before this. <laughs> so you know who did not agree with us at all? Who will? <laughs> oh, shoot, I, I pulled up the uh, the book thread. I meant to pull up the film thread yeah so we we tweeted uh yesterday while watching the film and we had a reaction to our um Dude, tweets. She, she must have deleted all of them yeah so you don't first, know that it's a she so this twitter could account be a guy. carbon unmade zero zero yeah um took exception to like five of our tweets yeah not it, she didn't appreciate us um, again don't know badgering <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. It's just a, a, a Twitter account with zero followers and zero following. Not an egg, though. There's a profile. Picture. Yeah, it's a weird account. Confirmed. Weird. <laughs> Could be a Russian bot, but... So early on, person. I tweeted out that I didn't know if I liked the Joaquin Phoenix casting, and she said, then you are a moron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> I, not, moron, whatever, yeah. 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 This, yeah. This, this, but she, she, she was, like, dropping other character names. I think... Or, I'm sorry. The person was dropping other character names. She clearly had read the book and seen, <laughs> seen the movie. She said something about Josh Brolin, how he was bad, and that Catherine Waterston yeah. was also miscast. She could have also just looked this up on Wikipedia or IMDb. This person thought every single person was poorly cast except for Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, Twitter is garbage. Why does this person even want to spend the time doing this? We just want to put her on blast because we disagree with you. So, yes, uh, before we wrap up, I, I do want to have a conversation about the directing. Yes. Um, I, from a high level, I'll spill my beans. I, I think to get the comedy right, like PTA was not the right choice. I, earlier, was thinking of someone like the Coen brothers to, to helm a movie like this. Mm. I think their humor more fits with the humor of this book. Yeah. Thoughts? I haven't seen the Coen... Like- I'm taken back to um, Oh Brother Ride Thou. And that's a pretty, like, it's a serious movie, but it's, the comedy in it is, is pretty great. It's pretty on the nose. They certainly have made a career making movies and doing stories that are very serious, about very serious things, but there's comedy within it. Black comedies, literally. Yeah. Like a Fargo. Um, yeah, exactly. Taking serious subjects. I wonder if George Clooney would have been a good choice for this role. Uh, no, he's a little too Boy Scouty. Anyway. He's too good looking. Yeah, I disagree so. with that. I just, um, that he's never done... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> he's never done like a high character before, has he? Or like a... No. The moms would revolt. That's true, they will. 
I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of research on this, but you know, reading the Wikipedia page, it talks about the, it's described as having chaos on set. And it seems like some actors may not have been given as many like notes about what to do. And you kind of feel that in the performances. It feels yeah. very disjointed. Yeah. Um, which must have been what he was going for, but it's it just, for me, it just, it doesn't feel right. Um, Are you a big PTA guy? I am. I'm a, I'm a fan of his work. I, I like a lot of his other films. I think they're brilliant. There were, there were several things in this movie that he did that I, I did uh, in general identify with. I would say from a, from a shot composition standpoint, you know, a lot of these shots, just in, you know, as a general statement, I stylistically, there's a quality that I prefer in direction. And that is in general, like less cuts, uh, slower pacing, longer, longer takes. Uh, in this movie in particular, there are a lot of two shots. So we see both actors in the frame at the same time. We're not cutting back and forth. There were a ton of that in this movie, even from further distances away. You know, like the scene where Owen Wilson's character and Joaquin Phoenix's character, we are significantly far away from these actors. It's dark. You can't see anything. Um, so yeah, I think stylistically that there's a lot there that I identify with and I'm sure there's a point to it in the film. I just don't know if it's necessarily the, the direction I would have gone, you know, given what I already said about making this a little more lighthearted, but there, there are qualities of it that I identify with and think like, that's brilliant. I like what he's doing here. Was it, um, I think I saw, I read it somewhere that it was characterized or described as like a noir film would you agree with that or like a neo-noir yeah i mean i guess that gets the from the detective part of it so there's that scene where owen wilson comes out of the like shadows it's yeah it's very dark it's certainly it's certainly yeah uh dark in that respect yeah they didn't you have like the the famous like shade scene right where the where the blinds are like sure yeah yeah Yeah. that but like they certainly did use a lot of lamps Neo noir is certainly a, a a factor I would agree with yeah. a, a definition of the film I would agree. With. Would you recast the director if you if you were if you were the financier? I like the Coen brothers. You know, I also you know if if I'm going with James Franco, you know Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg could direct. Uh, those would be completely different movies, and I think they're probably maybe funnier and a little more enjoyable as they're lighthearted and there's a different thing to say the movie has a different quality but i thought this worked for uh, overall i thought it was okay for what what i guess you wanted to accomplish Mm -hmm. so i haven't watched a ton of pta i've seen this i've seen there will be blood that might be it Mm -hmm. what is the like pta aesthetic if you could boil him down to like a paragraph of of what he is about as a director does he have like a, a thing a lot of his movies involve are I don't want to say they're complicated, but there's a lot of story like this. There are a lot of characters. There are a lot of storylines. There's a lot of layers to everything. I mean, Boogie Nights. Uh, I guess you haven't seen that. Boogie Nights has a lot of characters. Magnolia has. I mean, Magnolia is like six separate stories all going at the same time that aren't related until the end. Um, so it, it it's there's certainly. I think this this is inherently a, a paul thomas anderson film i i get that feeling but i i don't know if i would call it his best work so the feeling would be just going for it like a, a lot happening yeah it's like kind of chaotic in a way that is intentional 
um, with a lot of different characters contributing to the narrative. Probably the mark of a good director that you can't just like be like, hey, this is what he's about in three words. Yeah. Yeah. It's more complicated. Than Famous that. for making often epic psychological drama films. Thank you. For which it. often <laughs> take place in the San Fernando Valley. That I knew. And uh, deal with characters seeking after redemption, forgiveness, or loss. Are you reading Wikipedia? Yeah. They also use wide framing as well as realistic or gritty cinematography. All right. Let's move on from this. <laughs> so, um, sponsored by Wendy's Spicy Chicken Nuggets, four pieces for 99 cents, we have our hot take time. Eric, would you like to go first? Sure. So, my hot take is that the name Dennis is spelled D-E-N-N-I-S. The name Dennis is spelled D-E-N-I-S. And that's it. That's the hot take. The character in this film named Dennis was spelled D-E-N-I-S. And that is the proper pronunciation of that spelling. This is That is my hot take. Dennis is with two N's. Every other spelling of that name is no longer Dennis. This is controversial because the way he's it's spelled in the book is D-E-N-I-S. Right, that's Dennis. If you put a P in front of that, you know, when you say it, it's penis. So that's where you're getting this from? And then also the way they pronounce, they pronounce it in the What film. about... Uh, how many ways, how, like, how many rules of English are we going to break? What about menace? <laughs> Dennis the menace, that's spelled differently. You could do D-E-N-A-C-E. What about that? You could, I suppose. I, so if someone, if you ever met someone with one N, you called them, would you call them Dennis or would you feel like an <laughs> asshole? <laughs> I don't think you would. I don't, I don't think it push comes to shove. You're like, what's up, Dennis? Find me it. A- <laughs> I'll find you a Dennis. Find me a Dennis. I'll find you a goddamn Dennis. <laughs> and let's, let's have this conversation. Um, my hot take. Yeah, you go next. <laughs> Eric's full extra spicy. My hot take is this film should have been directed by Ben Stiller. What? This should have been a Tropic Thunder <laughs> um, film. Or stylistically or whatever, aesthetically or feeling film wouldn't you wouldn't you have liked that more so i think of ben stiller as satirical and let me stop you there what was the best scene in this movie was it was it not the scene where whatever his name is martin short or whatever the british guy runs through martin short's canadian whatever he is yeah the extension of british or britain close enough where he runs through and his pants fall down I mean, that that was probably the moment we all laughed out loud the most. I would agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. or Josh Brolin in the car with a uh, frozen chocolate-covered banana. That was yeah. also funny. So, like, these moments are, are comedy. These the, moments are a little bit over the top. The massage parlor scene. Yes. So, like, if you not have more of those moments and you have, like, that theme throughout the movie. Yeah, no, I, I, want, I want more of those. I think yeah. I'd rather – I think this uh, is more successful – as a over-the-top comedy yeah. like that, yeah, and more memorable. Yeah, I'm just saying. I think that's true. My, I will say, and we can move on from this, but I think of a Ben Stiller movie as being satirical. There is, he's playing with something, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think this 
I don't know what to play with in inherent vice. You, I mean, you could play with the drug culture, like the hippie culture. Maybe that's over the top. You know. I don't know. I'll 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 ask Ben Stiller. Okay. Well, I'll ask Ben. Me and him are on a first name basis. Yeah. Did uh, Doc in the book have those mutton chops and the weird hair? He had the weird hair. Yeah, hair was a the, thing. I don't know about the side beard. Yeah. He gets his hair made into an afro in the book. Yeah. That's a thing. People tell him, like, change your hair, change your life. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But So, yes. Do you have a hot take, Charlie? Um, not really. Anything you want to get off your chest that has been gnawing at you? The hair. That's the only, That's my other note. Yeah. Hair was good? Hair was bad? Do you not like the mutton chops? No, I hated them. I thought his look in the movie was good. I, I mean, I, it's undeniably seventies. Just uh, it was not for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of mud jobs. Yeah. They might come back. His wardrobe was nice. I liked that he was barefoot all the time, and he had some cool shirts and pants. Yeah. Um. What about the part where he, the police officer just walks right in the in the street? Oh, that was funny. That was fine. Yeah. Pretty good. Fucking cops. <laughs> Eric, movie or book? Book. Movie. Yeah. Once again, we are at odds. That's okay. We I'm, uh, it's it's been too much smooth sailing. We need a little bit of conflict. We need some friction. Yeah. I think I think um, I've gone book book this season. You've gone movie movie. That's true glad i was yeah we'll see about the next one so the next one is uh wait Charlie, do you have any final thoughts about the the film before we my apologies Charlie. no it's uh i'm thank you for asking me on the podcast i enjoyed talking about the movie and uh watching i've never seen it um will you read the book no i don't i mean i don't read books anyway so okay and will you watch the movie again after this discussion Yes, I'm interested to watch it again, but I also don't feel strongly about getting to it. You know, if I get to it, I get to it. So not tonight, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hit me up. That's fair. Are you are you caught up on the PTA oeuvre? No, I'm missing two. Which one? Uh, Heart Eight and the most recent one, Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah. Mm. The book ends. What's your favorite? There will be blood, or the master. Really, those are both like masterpieces of cinema. Well, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> are those uh, adapted from books? There will be blood is adapted. Yeah, from master. I don't think is. Yeah, I don't think so. But spiritually, the master is based on Elder Ron, Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Who? Fast fact for you, he has the Guinness uh, Book World Record for novels published yeah. in a lifetime. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I knew that. The what is the? I'm a Scientologist. What's the Scientology <laughs> book? It's the something of Dianetics, right? Yeah, uh, Dianetics. Yeah, yeah. 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 Check, we check Do you want to read it? It's pretty life changing. I have it in my house. I was gonna read it. Can we watch the one with uh, John Travolta? Battlefield Earth. Yeah, with yeah. all the Dutch angles. <laughs> if that's a book, then we'll do that. <laughs> it has to be a book. It's gotta be. It might be based on Dianetics. Jesus Christ! Bring back uh, John. He's doing uh, Santa Claus commercials. 
Okay, so Battlefield Earth is actually based on the 1982 novel Battlefield Earth by L. Ron Hubbard. Oh my god. I think cover is dope. (laughs) Sci-fi and dope cover, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So follow Little Lands on Twitter and Instagram for updates on future (laughs) seasons. We're going to do an L. Ron Hubbard year, 2021. Maybe not. What are we doing next? For sure. We are going to be doing the um orchid thief a non-fiction book by susan orlean um which was not quite adapted but somewhat adapted into a movie called adaptation i think in 2002 starring nick cage and also starring another nick cage so uh enter the cage at your own risk but this is going to be the the final in our unadaptable book series yeah we'll wrap up 2020 with unadaptables and move on to 2021 but i'm excited for that one because spike jones is a good director directed her and some others and we've never actually had nick cage we've never discussed him i feel like that is a topic of discussion in our friend group for sure um and will be interesting to talk about on the podcast you guys doing arsenal anytime soon i just gotta say one thing (laughs) i'm gonna steal the declaration of independence And on that note, um, please check out our most recent episode on Cloud Atlas. This will be up on Sunday, hopefully, uh, the whatever it is, 13th or so. And uh, follow us on Twitter. Where can they find us? At Little Lens. Instagram, at Little Lens. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts. I might have already mentioned. I can't remember anything else. We're everywhere. We're all over the fucking place. Fucking find us. And Charlie's Twitter. Big, big Yeah. Call. Yeah. What is it, CW? At the CW. I don't, I, don't even, I don't even remember. But if you need it, I'll burn you a CD of the podcast and I'll mail it to you for those old school people. <laughs> burn your mixtape. So yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back next time. See ya. Take a couple of practice Speaking swings. on beha- <laughs> Is that not good? <laughs> <laughs> this is Rick Dalton. <laughs> that sounds really good, actually. Better known as Baron Hunter J.K. <laughs> Speak, Sorry. speak on behalf of Red Apple Six. Uh, this is Rig Doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't know if I can. But <laughs> you guys are annoying. I like. I feel you. I'm, pre- <laughs> you know, I'm looking at the script. I feel you. I'm present. reading the script. But today, Red Apple comes. <laughs> That's all right. We can cut that. But today, Red Apple comes factory roll for the best drag with the best. <laughs> But today, Red Apple comes factor rolled for the best. <laughs> God damn it, dude. Good. But today, Red Apple comes factor rolled for the best drag with the best tobacco flavor with less burn. <laughs> Just read it, Will. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Do you want to leave? Read the line. <laughs> it's easier to focus on the words than Charlie's voice. <laughs> Are we recording?